there was a USA Today article that that mentioned that I think the one of the big pharmacy guidelines had dictated that you know two minutes was their was their goal in filling a prescription, and that's just really not enough time to to go through the checks and balances to especially if you have a patient who wants to consult with a, a pharmacist about their medication. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. We're glad you could listen today. And I'm Craig Williams from a somewhat rainy Southern California, despite what the song says. And we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, Clio web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com, and LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions to professionals in a variety of industries at lexisnexis.com. And Bob, I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. I know you write a couple of blogs. And Craig, uh, you know that being in Boston, I try not to talk about the weather at all because it's it's generally miserable. But uh, but I'm used to it. That's okay. Uh, and I write a blog called Law Sites, and also a blog called Media Law. Well, uh, this week we're going to talk about pharmacy errors and some of the legal issues that they raise. Uh, recently, uh, a young woman, Marina Silva, was mistakenly given the wrong medication uh, intended for another customer. Silva uh, was uh, was uh, picking up a prescription at a Safeway pharmacy in Colorado. Silva was six weeks pregnant at the time, was given a medication containing methotrexate, uh, a medication reportedly used to treat cancer, which can cause possibly cause birth defects in an unborn baby. So how did this happen? Safeway issued a statement saying, quote, We have extended our sincere apologies to Ms. Silva and offered to pay any medical expenses incurred as a result of the prescription error. We understand the anxiety this has caused and the difficulty of Ms. Silva's situation, unquote. And Safeway is conducting a full investigation into the incident. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at this case, talk about the legal issues pharmacies can face due to prescription errors and pharmacy misfills, and get a pharmacist's perspective and talk about how these errors can be prevented. Well, helping us do that today are going to be two guests. Uh, First of all, we'd like to welcome to the program Attorney Chad Cook, a member of the Mass Torts Section at the Beasley Allen Law Firm in Montgomery, Alabama. Chad is currently responsible for a number of cases, including uh, litigation involving Fosamax, Heparin, Reglan, and Zithromax. Chad also assists in investigating new drugs and medical devices, which present a serious danger to consumers. Chad is with us today to talk about some of the dangers and and some of the legal issues surrounding pharmacy errors. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, Chad Cook. Good to be with you guys today. Our next guest is Dr. Shannon John Johnson, a pharmacist with Farm Demand, a private pharmacy consulting firm. Dr. Johnson is licensed in the state of California and Hawaii and has more than 12 years of pharmacy experience specializing in clinical pharmacy, clinical information systems, safe medication practice, quality improvement, project management, and systems integration. Highlights of his experience include serving as the director of inpatient pharmacy at Sharp Memorial Hospital in San Diego 
He was a safe medication practice pharmacist, information systems consultant for Cardinal Health and Fixus, and consulted on numerous projects for the San Diego Health and Human Services Agency. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Dr. Shannon Johnson. Thank you. Well, let's take a quick look at this incident, Dr. Johnson. Can you give us a perspective on what may have gone wrong here and what the pharmacists are looking at? Yeah, so I looked at the video that was on the uh, internet, and it, it looks like what happened was the, the patient, Miss Silva, shared the same name, the same last name, with I believe it was a 51 year old female who was on methotrexate. And when she went to pick up the medication, I believe the mix up occurred there at the pickup window where either the name wasn't properly checked or they didn't check the date of birth or a couple different patient identifiers. So at some point, she got the wrong Miss Silva's medications. Dr. Justin, how, how often does this kind of thing happen? You know, it's hard to say exactly the, 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 the rate of these sorts of things. It, 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 obviously, it's rare. It's very rare. Um, and when it actually, you know, reaches the patient, it's even more rare. You know, a lot of these things are caught upstream. Um, some of you may be familiar with the term the Swiss cheese model where you have uh, layers of defense in a, in a system where if the holes line up just right on a particular day given particular circumstances, you know, errors get through. And, you know, the goal of any um, error prevention methodology would be to have as many lines of defense against these sorts of things as possible. So um, I can't speak to the exact you know, percentage, but I know it, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's very serious. Chad, what are the legal issues here? Safeway's made a type of admission. What do you think their responsibility is and what kind of legal issues are they facing? Right. And let me back up just a minute. I, you know, I do agree with Dr. Johnson that, um, you know, it, there should be many lines of defense and, and often are in terms of, you know, a checks and balances system. Uh, with the pharmacy, but I, but I'm not sure I agree with him that this is a a a rare uh, event. I guess it depends on your definition of rare, but you know I think it is becoming a growing problem uh, in the pharmacy in the pharmaceutical industry for a number of reasons. Um, you know there is just down the road from my office is Auburn University, which has a pretty good uh, school of pharmacy, and they did a, a study a number of years ago, uh, and and. The results from that study were that one out of every 1,000 um, prescriptions uh, that, that were filled uh, was in error and, and possibly had a, you know, a serious uh, health-threatening uh, error involved. And so the numbers from that study was about three, over 3.5 three million errors each year based on the, the national prescription volume. So, you know, I think that it's, you know, it's correct that a lot of these are, are caught for actual delivery to the patient, um, but it's you know it's becoming a, an increasing problem, and I think that's uh, I think that's due to a lot of things. One is you know the insurance industry and um, the way that they are now reimbursing these pharmacies. And Dr. Johnson can probably talk to this a lot better than I can. Um, but you know I think it's now become a uh, you know a volume based business and. Um, Especially with the big chain stores, and I think you you obviously lose a lot of the customer uh, familiarity and contact, and and it's all about numbers now. And you know, I think higher volume leads to to higher errors. Doctor Johnson, what type of training do pharmacists go through to avoid these kind of errors? And really, what is the last line of defense here? Yeah, well, I I would like to echo you know Chad's point. You use the term eliminate errors, and and to Chad's point, you know, will we ever eliminate errors? 
Well, this sort of analysis, you know, anytime you have humans involved in something, I don't know that eliminating it is possible. Obviously, the, the whole point is to reduce them and uh, reduce them down to a, a level that's, I don't know that there's ever a level that, that is appropriate, but it also gets into the ability to detect them and, and the, the quantity of which they're reported. Um, but getting back to uh, the point about training, um, you know, pharmacists undergo four years of, of pharmacy school. Um, not a lot of time is spent, you know, more of the time is spent on the science and the pharmacology and how drugs interact and work and the physiology. Um, you know, not not enough time is probably spent on error, the, the science behind errors and, and, and quality. So, what about what about detecting these kinds of errors? I mean, it, it, you know, uh, Chad mentioned a number of, of many as one in one thousand. Uh, how many of those cases are, are caught, or could there be even more than that? Well, by the nature of the study, the one in one thousand were probably caught. So there were even more that weren't caught. There were probably even more that weren't reported. Um, the studies I've looked at show that you know if you if you have an error rate of you know whatever it is, say it's you know one in a thousand, they say we'll multiply that by you know a couple more fold because those are all the ones that aren't reported. They're caught well upstream in the other layers of defense, and and they may or may not even be um, detectable at that point. Yeah, yeah, Chad, what about from your perspective? I mean, do you have a sense of uh, how many of these cases are? Are, are 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 being detected or being caught, uh, and how many possibly uh, are going undetected, and what some of the what some of the impact of that might be? Yeah, I, mean, I think there are. There, there, you know, uh, just in kind of getting ready for today, I also was looking at a UK study, uh, which which talked about. Uh, I mean, the numbers weren't as as dramatic as the study I mentioned before, um, but it also you know talked about. Uh, uh, you know, near misses or or errors that 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 were ultimately um, were ultimately called, and and that's part of that you know checks and balances system. So, um, you know, I think that certainly you know a lot of errors are are, are called along the way, but um, you know you really have to worry about the ones that aren't. And I think that um, you know again, I I talked to a pharmacist the other day who's been. He's been a pharmacist for 49 years, and I said, you know, how do we how do we prevent this sort of thing? And he said, well, it's really, you know, there's there's nothing uh, there's really nothing new or or uh, you know anything different that 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 you need to do. You just you know you've got to uh, you know concentrate on what you're doing. You've got to have a good protocol for having checks and balances in place, um, and uh, and you've got to you know you've really got to take your time in doing it. And, I, and that's I kind of get back to the big chain stores because I think that's really that's probably where you see the majority of these mistakes is is in the you know the bigger chains where where they're just driven by volume and um there was a USA today article that that mentioned that I think the one of the big pharmacy guidelines had dictated that you know 2 minutes was their was their goal in filling a prescription and that's just really not enough time to to go through the checks and balances to especially if you have a patient who wants to consult with a a pharmacist about their medication, you know, and and it's it's sort of indicative of today's society. Everything is, you know, is about uh, you know the speed of it, and a lot of times the service gets gets watered down. What is the last line of defense here? What can individuals do to prevent this from happening? I mean, I've seen types of directions from pharmacies that says this is a little red pill. What kind of uh, 
responsibility do individuals have to protect themselves against these types of errors? Well, I think that's one of the, and Dr. Johnson can talk about this better than I can, but I think that's one of the uh, advantages to the technology of today is there are, you know, things like online, uh, you know, pill identifiers where, you know, you can you can go online and you can plug in the name of your drug and, and it'll show you exactly what it looks like. And, and so you can match that up with, with what you've been given. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of things that, you know, that we can do as, as consumers because we're all in the same category. All of us are have or will, you know, take drugs from time to time for different conditions. But, um, you know, you certainly want to uh, want to do your do as much as you can to check your name and and um, and and understand from the doctor what he's prescribing to you and why he's prescribing it. Um, and you know, you can you can develop a good relationship with your pharmacist and ask them questions. Um, and, and and there are some other things that that I'm sure Dr. Johnson can speak to that that would be helpful as well. Right. The uh, the, the pill identification on the label is actually uh, law now. And I know in my state it's law in California and probably is in many others. Um, but I want to go back to a point about the, the, the big, about the big chains. I don't want it to imply that big chains have more errors or, or, or less. Errors occur in any type of system. Um, errors could occur at the the local small chain you know drugstore just as well as the big chain. They can happen. They happen in hospitals. They happen everywhere. And it's how we deal with them and manage them. Um, and the most important thing is is that you know the ones that are um, have the high potential for patient harm. We you know we we really spend a lot of time addressing those and and putting more defense layers up. Um, you know to prevent those those from happening, as well as the, the rate at which something might occur. So we look at, we, we do things like uh, FMEA is called failure modes and effects analysis, where we'll go in and take apart a whole process, much like what they did when the Space Shuttle Columbia broke up. They'll, t- they'll reinvestigate the entire process and put values to the, to the percent at which something might occur, um, the risk level, the ability to, to detect it. And then that allows you to kind of target your uh, process improvement plan uh, effectively for that specific issue. So, Chad, what what are the from a legal point of view? What are what are the issues here? I, and I understand in this particular case, you know, Safeway has, I guess, accepted responsibility for for the error. But 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 who's who is responsible here? Is it the pharmacist? Is it the pharmacy chain? Uh, from a legal point of view, well. Uh, and I don't, you know, I only know from this case what I've read. Uh, yeah, well, the, speaking generally, we don't have paper, to speak about this sure, case. Right. But, yeah. um, and, and, you know, and, and from what I understand, Safeway has, uh, in a sense, admitted liability, which I, you know, I think is pretty pretty clear from what, you know, from my from my standpoint anyway. Um, and they've admitted to, you know, to paying for the medical, or, or they would, they've offered, I guess, to pay for the medical expenses. But, you know, I'm not sure what that really means. Um, I mean, because there are so many unknowns, even at this point. I mean, you have a lady who, uh, you know, is pregnant with her first child, and um, we really don't know, you know, what the outcome will be. I mean, she could obviously have a very healthy child, which obviously we we, we hope is what happens. But, um, you know, she could miscarry. She could have a child with, um, you know, with severe uh, birth defects. And, I mean, if that's the case, you know, are they willing to step up to the plate and and take care of those expenses? And you know, even if even if she has a totally healthy child, I think you have to look at 
you know, other aspects of it, um, you know, like the, the anxiety and stress of what she's going through right now with, with just the unknown, with not knowing and, and the unknowns that are out there. I mean, you know, from what I understand, she, she took the medication um, when, when she realized that it was the incorrect medication. She went to the pharmacy. Um, I, think, I think at that point they, they tried to get her to actually vomit the medication up, which, which didn't work. You know, she ends up going to the hospital, and and I think this is correct. Doctor Johnson can again talk to this better than I can, but I think they gave her actually charcoal to absorb the drug. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of things like that that are just you know, um, when you think about just the just that uh, that whole scenario is is um, just very difficult to go through. But but getting back to the specific legal aspects of it, I mean, there you know there are negligence and and wantonness issues, negligence in different ways. Um, you know, if if a lawsuit was filed in this case, I would expect they would file you know negligent supervision uh, uh, by the company of the pharmacist, negligent supervision of the technicians that work uh, with the pharmacist, and and then there's negligence in in failing to take appropriate steps to avoid these mistakes in the first place. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, again, that may be another issue that has cropped up um, with some of these pharmacies. And, and, and don't hear me wrong, I'm not, I'm not bashing pharmacies at all. Um, but I think that a lot of times you have, you know, pharmacists who are, who are working longer hours um, than maybe they should. You've got um, more technicians uh, in place. Uh, than you do pharmacists, and a lot of times the the mistakes are occurring with those technicians, not with the pharmacists themselves. But the pharmacist does fail to you know to catch that error. Um, so I think you know each case is going to be different, obviously. Um, but you know you do have the negligence issues, you got the personal injury aspects of it, and and you know we've even had cases where you know where a death has occurred, and um, which opens up you know some other. Uh, some other legal avenues as well. Dr. Johnson, we've seen some laws go into effect, uh, such as truckers who can't drive a certain number of hours. Are there similar regulations for pharmacists? On specific uh, time durations that they can work? Yes. Um, I'm not familiar with any, no. Is that the type of a, of a regulation that might uh, be helpful in situations like this? Is what Chad's saying that, that pharmacists at the end of an eight-hour day are tired and more likely to make mistakes? Well, in this particular situation, let's remember that the the error occurred at the at the window where the pickup occurred, um, and it was probably a, a clerk, may have been a technician. By the way, clerks are not licensed. Um, where the medication was handed out to the patient, so that's where the error occurred here on that on this particular situation. Uh, would uh, limits to the number of hours for pharmacists help? I don't know that I could answer that. Um, errors occur for a number of reasons, not just fatigue. Uh, fatigue can play into error propensity, but you know, errors are very multifactorial. They can they can occur from um, you know systems issues in place, uh, lookalike, soundalikes are a big issue. Um, in this particular issue, uh, this case, we would call this a patient identification issue. So in the hospital. Um, 
accreditation bodies like Joint Commission for Accreditation of Hospitals Organization, or JCO. Actually, it's now TJC, the, the Joint Commission. Um, they require that when nurses administer medications that they use, um, I believe it's two or three patient identifiers. And they specifically state that patient room cannot be an identifier. So you've got to look at the name, date of birth, and one other identifier. So um, if anything would help in this case is that some sort of regulation on multiple patient identifiers uh, would be a law, for example. I don't believe it's a law, but I know that it is a lot of companies do have that policy. Well, gentlemen, we need to take a quick break. When we return, we'll have more with attorney Chad Cook, a member of the Mass Tort Section of the Beasley Allen Law Firm, and Dr. Shannon Johnson. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than, in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, Visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now.
Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. Jay Craig Williams and I are joined by our guests, Attorney Chad Cook, a member of the Mass Torts section at the Beasley Allen Law Firm in Alabama, and Dr. Shannon Johnson, a pharmacist with Farm Demand, a private pharmacy consulting firm. And we're talking about legal responsibility for pharmacy errors. Uh, Chad, something I wanted to ask you is... I, I know that you know in a lot of other areas uh, in which consumers uh, could potentially be uh, in danger, they, they address it through through packaging uh, and labeling. Uh, do you think do you think that that the way pharmaceutical, the way drugs are packaged and, and distributed is an issue? Do, do, do the pharmaceutical companies themselves at all bear any any responsibility here for labeling and packaging? Uh, beyond what's required by law now? Well, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, we actually saw that uh, a few years ago uh, with with heparin. And I think that um, there was, if I'm, my memory is a little foggy, but I think there were some issues with heparin where they, they did start to either color code it or package it in a different way. So it was distinguishable, uh, maybe in a dosage, a dosage form. And so I think that's something that you know, would probably be fairly inexpensive uh, to do is to, you know, somehow come up with a system uh, for packaging of, um, you know, of pharmaceuticals uh, that would distinguish them. I I think that um, that is one of the, you know, in looking at the studies that we've mentioned today, you know, that's that's one of the many reasons um, that some of these errors occur is, you know, is, you know, that the packaging looks, looks the same. And if you uh, as I as I think in my mind through the the drugs the you know that I've taken over the years they all they they all kind of come in the same type you know bottles and obviously the drugs themselves look different um, but they all kind of come in the similar similar type bottles and unless you're really you know looking at um, the the language on the bottles which sometimes um, in medical terms is 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 difficult for lay lay folks uh, to understand like myself. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to interpret. So I think that's a great idea. Uh, I don't know that I don't know that that's something that's been proposed um, at any level, but but certainly it would it would be a, a worthwhile effort. Well, there have been some attempts to use robots to uh, fill uh, prescriptions. Dr. Johnson, how does that work? Well, robots are basically repackaging. They're taking something from a bulk bottle and putting it into, you know, units of 30 and then uh, put that in an amber bottle for the patient. Um, I, I would like to point out the, the ISMP, which stands for the Institute of Safe Medication Practice, has taken quite an active stand on packaging, and they were they were instrumental in, in, in getting the, the heparin change, the heparin labeling change um, forward. Um, that all kind of started out with, uh, Dennis Quaid's babies that were in the news, and uh, and the changes they did for that were, are are a lot better. They're, they they definitely are good. Um, do we need more pack, uh, different packaging uh, on medications? Probably, but keep in mind that that it can have also unintended consequences. Uh, for example, color coding. Um, you know, the ISMP has come out, and they're not in favor of actually color coding. Uh, various items for fear that if the color ever changed or anything ever came out that was a similar color, that it could actually um, potentiate an error. So they're very sensitive to packaging, um, but definitely there is room for improvement, sure. 
Chad makes such a good point. I mean, the, the all pharmaceuticals come in basically the same bottle with the same labeling. Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, how consumers are are, are going to consumers are going to know. I mean, the, the situation here: they pick up the the bottle, uh, they've asked for a prescription, uh, they open it, they pop the pill. Uh, you know, should the labels at least have perhaps bigger lettering on them or some other kind of warning? Is there some other way to, to come at this uh, labeling issue? Same Actually, the bigger question. labeling went into effect in California of January 1. They're now it's required to be, I believe, a 10 or a 12-point font. Uh, that's actually a law that went into effect. Yeah. Um, as for, you know, should they be different? You know, should should bottles look different? You know, I, I would ask you, well, how should they look? And, and you know, it's it's hard to say. In other countries, you know, America, we repackage things in amber bottles. A lot of other countries do not repackage things. You will get uh, a manufacturer packaged, uh, you know, straight from the manufacturer, and that's what you'll get. So it'll come in a box or whatever, in a blister pack. Some medications are delivered that way here in the United States. You'll get blister packs of particularized medications from manufacturers. Is there an advantage to using uh, manufacturers' prescriptions, or is there an advantage to using, as as Chad's pointed out, the human interface? Is there an advantage to? Well, let me answer the first question: Why we put it into bottles, and I and I believe it has to. It, one of the reasons goes back to the way things are paid for. So, when a doctor writes a prescription for two tabs twice a day for seven days, you're going to get 14 tabs, and the and the insurance company is going to pay for 14 tabs. If you know, if the pharmacist has packages of 30 that come from the manufacturer, you know, it's my understanding that we can't give the full 30 because. Oh, it's either a payment issue or it's what what it, it wasn't a pres- it wasn't prescribed that way. So it, it kind of is historical in that sense. Chad, let me ask you: If a consumer happens to be listening to this show today and and perhaps uh, finds themselves uh, the victim of of a pharmacy error uh, in, in this sense, uh, what what would you tell them? What 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 should they do? What steps should they take? Well, I think the first thing I would say is is contact your doctor. Um, you know, you need to you need to be communicating with your doctor um, so that they know you know what you what you should, obviously they know what you should be taking, but um, you know let them know what what you know has occurred and they can advise you from a medical standpoint. That's obviously the most important thing. Uh, and then the doctor uh, from that point would either contact the pharmacy or you can you can certainly do that on your own. Um, you know, after that, I would say uh, I would always uh, you know. Uh, advise uh, anyone uh, in in that situation to you know to consult with an attorney to to see what their legal rights are and save the bottle. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to uh, you certainly want to maintain uh, whatever you know medication that you have the bottle and 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 all of that uh, for for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's uh, I think uh, in the case that we've been talking about today, um, you know, when she took the the medication back to the the pharmacy, they're immediately able to see uh, the error that was made and, and what medication she was given, and and to recognize that uh, based on that medication, it's a very serious medical event that that needs uh, immediate inter- intervention. Well, gentlemen, we've just about reached the end of our program, so it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts and your contact information. So, Dr. Johnson, can we start with you? Yeah, um, so I just like to leave um, leave the audience with you know, uh, as a patient, you're really the the last line of defense in preventing medication errors. 
And the single most important way to prevent errors is, is to be engaged and being an active member of your healthcare team. So that, that kind of just means talking to your doctor, getting, you know, ask him to tell him the name of the drug, what it's being used for, what are the side effects, as well as the pharmacist, you know. Don't don't be afraid to ask the pharmacist to say, double check this. Is this correct? Is and open up the bottle and and take out the pill and ask him, is this the pill that I was prescribed, you know, um, and just be engaged. And your contact information, if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you? Yeah, my website is farmdemand.com, and that's P-H-A-R-M-D-M-A-N-D.com. Right. And Chad? Yeah, I would, you know, I would certainly echo Dr. Johnson's comments um, that you want to have a, a good relationship with your doctor. And you want to have a good relationship with your pharmacist because they are uh, obviously both uh, instrumental in your in your healthcare. And and uh, you know if you're if you're dealing with a pharmacy uh, where you don't feel like you you've got a great relationship um, or you have the the you know getting the medical attention that you need from that pharmacist or don't feel like they're available to you, then you know I suggest that you you get with one that is. And um, you know again if you if you do feel like uh, there's been an error uh, in a pharmacy misfeel or or that you've suffered some sort of injury uh, from that, then certainly consult with an attorney and uh, and find out what your legal rights are. And your contact information as well, please. Yeah, our website is BeasleyAllen.com. It's B-E-A-S-L-E-Y-A-L-L-E-N.com. Great. Well, thank you both for being on the program today. It's been a pleasure to to, uh, listen to your thoughts about this. And uh, Bob, that wraps it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. So for our listeners, remember, you can now get CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. And Craig, just let me add add my thanks to uh, our guests, Chad Cook and Dr. Shannon John Johnson. Uh, really appreciated you both taking the time to be with us uh, and sharing your thoughts on this. Yeah, remember, you can find all of the Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. We'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.